Our guest today is Lauren Chirin, founder of Women of a Certain Stage, whose aim is to change the narrative on menstruation and menopause in the workplace. Lauren is a global keynote speaker, trainer, and coach on women's well-being. She left her senior role in financial services in her early 40s, believing that she was suffering from early onset dementia. Imagine her surprise when her doctor informed her that she had just been going through the menopause. Today, Lauren educates employers on why being menopause supportive is business savvy and supports high-performing women to navigate the changes and challenges of all things hormonal. Lauren, welcome to the Right Side of 40 podcast. We are delighted to have you talking with us today. We have had lots of listeners ask us, when are you going to do an episode on the menopause? So here we are. But before we start, we have to ask you, are you feeling on the right side of 40 today? I am absolutely on the right side of 40. (laughs) (laughs) That's the correct answer. Lauren, before we started our research for this episode, I realized that I had no idea what a menopause coach was. So perhaps that's a good place to start because there must be other people thinking the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I had no idea what a menopause coach was either. In fact, I didn't even know if they existed. But I do know that when I left my job, as you said, I had no clue what I was going through at the time. And I felt as if what I really needed was someone who got me, who understood me, Mm. who could listen to me, who could hold space for me and support me, but not tell anyone else what I was talking to them about. Oh, my God, yes. I didn't want a counsellor. For me, that wasn't what I needed at the time. I wanted, I just needed to have a safe place to go, somewhere there I could just brain dump, cry my heart out, laugh my socks off, do whatever it was I felt I needed to do without being judged, without having colleagues or managers looking at me, without people at home thinking I'd lost the plot because (laughs) I thought I was losing the plot. And that was, you know, that was really the beginning of me starting to think about coaching. When I left my job, I thought, wow, I'm going to train as a coach. I'm going, you know, I've already got a background in psychology and mental health and uh, lots of different things like personal training and sports therapy and nutrition. And I thought, I'm going to I'm going to support people so that they don't go through what I went through. So executive coaching is amazing and it's super powerful. But what I realized quite quickly, when you're working with somebody going through menopause who's juggling all these things, actually there's something missing from just straightforward or you know regular executive coaching. What is it that's missing? You know, I love coaching and I love working as an exec coach, but fundamentally what I realized was that as much as I could ask probing, challenging, lovingly supportive questions, if someone genuinely doesn't know what's wrong with them, doesn't know what's going on for them and doesn't realize they're entering the stage, they're not looking for answers. And you can't guide somebody with regular coaching. You're not, you know, you're you're not guiding or directing or telling or advising in any way, shape or form. So the right information wasn't coming into the conversation and that's where I realized that having a framework to work with was much more magical and helping people get results much more quickly so that's where the the menopause coaching emerged from and over the last 10 years I'm now training menopause coaches all over the world so it's it's been massive 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 shift in thinking and uh, the results that the clients are getting are just insane so yeah I love it I feel very fortunate I think what you said about people not knowing what they're going through is absolutely right because often at the beginning of menopause I mean women are at quite a a, you know a pinch point in their careers and family lives and many other things and sometimes it's hard to know am I full of rage because 
<laughs> Life is making me rageful. <laughs> Are my joints aching because it's, you know, for many other things? You know, there's so many. I think there's so many factors. And I think it's sometimes hard to know what's going on, particularly in the early stages. And that's what's great about all the conversations about this, because it's it's just things to look out for. It's it's just to check in with, isn't it? But I think for a long time, we just haven't had that. And to be honest, even with all the talk about menopause, I still think most women enter their 40s not really absolutely going, that symptom is the menopause, this is how it's going to affect me at work or in my life. Yeah, and I think I think that's a really pertinent point. So there's a couple of things that I was picking up on when you were talking there, and two things that came to mind was first of all, we're juggling many more things now than we've ever juggled before. So we've got home life and children, we've got elderly relatives, we've got work, but we're doing all of those additional things without the community and sisterhood be- beside us that we used to have. So yeah. it's kind of like the perfect storm. So we do have a lot more stress. We do have a lot more to deal with. We are stretched a lot more thinly and we've got far less support. And then comes along menopause as well. So with, when you've got that hormonal disruption on top of all of that, it makes the juggling act of life just that little bit trickier. But the other yeah. thing as well is that most of us enter perimenopause in our 30s. So Yeah, which I didn't, even, I didn't realize. I mean, I must have passed that bit by, you know, without realizing <laughs> Yeah, the, the, you know, and it's not, you know, not just um, for women that are going through menopause or people going through menopause, but actually the majority of people, their hormone levels start to change and decline and key hormones certainly start to decline in their mid-late 30s. And we may or may not experience symptoms at that point and not everyone's going to fall into that category. But whether you're a man or woman, however you identify, actually your hormone levels are declining and the aging process is beginning to kick in. So we really need to have this education a lot earlier than our 40s. You know, by the time we get here, we need to know what menopause is. We need to know that perimenopause is the phase leading into it where hormones are beginning to change. But we are actually, when we get to post-menopause, when we hit menopause 12 months without a period, we're only halfway through our adult life. So, you know, it's a real celebration if we can approach this properly, have the right help and support in place. What an incredible opportunity. I mean, just look at this podcast. This is the perfect example of the second half of our adulthood and the time when we get to really, really choose what we want to do and flourish as well. Oh, you're making me tear up now. (laughs) (laughs) So I I absolutely agree. Yeah, so do I. I wanted to come back a little bit to the coaching piece of that, because I think you said a couple of things that I wanted to pick up on that were super interesting. One was that it sounds like when you were talking about executive coaching, the emphasis is on treating the intellectual side of the work, whereas you were recognizing that it's the whole person, right? That when you're trying to coach someone, you can't separate what's happen- happening to them physically because that is directly impacting the, the other stuff, which is their ability to do their job. And what was really interesting to me about that was that I could definitely see in my own experience, you know, when I look back, it's like, oh yeah, that would have been really helpful. Um, but also, you know, thinking about like the, the broader conversation that you're talking about, which is that not only do you have to do it at the personal level, but also there's this bigger conversation. So tell us a bit about like, how do you do that? Like what, what does a menopause coach do? like at a personal and at a company or at a, an organizational level. It's so, so hard to conceive because, you know, we've never seen this before. <laughs> of course, of course. So, well, I did I did start off coaching and, and that was something that 
very much was a, a mainstay of everything I've done over the last decade. What we've developed into doing is providing awareness training sessions, whether that's through webinars or in-person events. We train line managers, we train menopause champions. So there are people that are a bit like mental health first aiders, somewhere that is a go-to person to have a conversation and be signposted to the right place for help and support. We look at the entire colleague journey all the way from job design right the way through to exit so that we make sure the entire colleague journey is menopause savvy and menopause supportive because no point being aware of menopause if you don't have the right support in place uh, and that's important for the employee and the employer but the menopause coaching is that layer of support so the coaching element is actually where i'm training people to become a menopause coach it means that they can provide um, and what we deliver is a seven week program, a seven session program that can be delivered one to one. It can be delivered in a group sitting. It can be delivered as individual webinars. And, and really what we're doing there is we are coaching because we're not advising. We're not telling anyone what to do, but we have a structured framework whereby we will talk about building knowledge up about menopause. We will look at mindset around menopause. And we will be blending into each of those seven conversations topics like hydration, nutrition, movement, self-care, morning and evening routines, how to talk to your partner, your employer, your doctor, sleep. So each session has a theme and the questions that come up, we will do traditional executive coaching style. Um, you know, multiple models out there that we dip in and out of, depending on the client, depending on what the situation is that's presented to us. But there's a theme of each session that we are inviting people to explore. So if you think, just think for a minute, how do you feel if you're dehydrated? No energy. You know, your brain doesn't even work. Yeah, right? you just you just feel like you're not functioning. Yes. I just have to think about it. And that made me think, am I thirsty? So... Uh... <laughs> So if you think about if you're dehydrated, if you've been drinking coffee all day to keep you going, if you've hit a, you know, the big G&T or the bottle of wine at night, how you feel the next day when you're dehydrated. So think about hydration and the impact of hydration on our overall well-being and then add that on top of menopause. Right. So when we start looking at hydration, nutrition, movement, all of these things and we start to get people to understand what's right for them. There's no one right hydration level. There's no one right nutritional program. There's no one right exercise regime. But we help people work out for themselves what it is that's going to help them feel better and stay in the way game. Because the reality is with the right information, with the right support, we can completely flourish all the way through our menopausal transition. And that's a narrative that I'm really, really passionate about driving forward. Well, that's actually a really positive outlook as well, because that's not what our perception is our perception is that this is something that we've got to suffer and everybody around us has to suffer <laughs> um, and I think it will stop people coming forward particularly in the workplace to talk about it you, I mean it was interesting what you were saying about earlier about the conversation around menopause I think we have a, a very negative viewpoint of it this idea of in the same way that we do about death then they're parts of human existence which people fear and don't want to talk about but they're actually just part of everything we do and that we handle birth and the support around birth that's improved a lot I think we've got our head, heads around what a period is how do people come forward in the workplace and say yes I'd like menopause coaching because I think most people would find it a bit embarrassing and not want to be seen to be old do you think we're getting there Lauren? We are getting there, definitely getting there. I mean, if I think back to 10 years ago, there was a definite 
case of initiating conversation with the organisations, finding the right person to speak to, taking about 11 or 12 months to be able to come in and deliver a session, like a training session. And now yeah. it's the reverse. It's kind of like, when can you come in and speak to us? The whole situation is completely reversed. So, you know, we we are approached on a daily basis by organisations asking us to come in and talk about menopause because we know that, in fact, this morning before the time of recording this, I had a conversation with a gentleman who's the CEO of a large organisation, their, you know, FTSE 200 company, and he's going, how do we start? Where? What do we need to do? I just lost a really mm -hmm. dear colleague because we discovered she was going through menopause too late. We didn't know what to do and she left. And actually she was an exec. So oh then that was a big, yeah. big hole. And if we'd lost her, who else have we lost that we don't know about? And I thought, how incredible is that? That he's joined the dots. He's reached out. He's looking for help and support. And we've just had an amazing conversation. What it's all about, people coming up to menopause, going through their menopause transition, haven't been educated about it en masse. It's not been talked about at home in the way that we need it to be. And yeah. if they don't learn about it at work, they're not going to learn about it anywhere else. So yeah. whether it's a good or a bad thing is irrelevant. The fact is, if we don't get employers talking about this, we're not going to learn about it anywhere else properly. So we've now come up with a series of mini podcasts and a series of worksheets because they've got people working in manufacturing. They've got lots of different roles where we need to be able to get in and out with people in 10 minute breaks bite-sized podcasts people can listen to with worksheets they can take home to their partner. We've got all sorts of different ways of reaching out to people. So when an organisation has something that's just the heartbeat of the organisation, where menopause is recognised, it's on their HR system. So if you're off, it's recorded as a menopausal absence or women's health absence, or, you know, depending whether how you classify different absences, because it's not just women that go through menopause. We've got to be conscious of our non-binary gender questioning, some of our transgender colleagues as well. We we need to have that conversation going on, but we're not asking anybody to put their hand up and say, hey, I'm menopausal. Right. So is the training that you do when you go into an organisation, is it to everybody? Is the idea to educate everybody? It's not just about who thinks they're going through the menopause. Put your hand up. Could you come no. over into meeting room four because somebody's <laughs> going to come and talk to you about it? It's more of a, yeah, like we educate everybody. Yeah. And because every, I suppose, you know, all the colleagues need to understand that the managers need to. I mean, that's actually very reassuring that it's more like you say it's more about mindset for yeah. a whole organization 100 100 because at the end of the day you know if you're delivering any form of diversity and inclusion and training you, there's no point just delivering the training to the group who that training's about they know who they are and what they are <laughs> it's actually everyone else that needs to know right because we need to have that non-judgmental supportive position and the reality is with menopause actually people don't know that they're perimenopausal or they're menopausal or what to do about it. So it's yeah. a double whammy. And the reality is you open beautifully by saying, actually, you know, it's everyone's impacted. It's our partners, it's mm -hmm. our colleagues, it's our children. It's, it's everyone we socialise with as well. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's not just us that go through it. It's everyone around us as well. So we need to... sometimes it Sometimes it takes somebody around you to make you aware that that you might be coping with something, but actually you're you're different and maybe it should be I would I love the idea of this the younger members of the workforce you know male and female that those people are being educated in something so that when they or their partners reach that stage of their lives 
they know because I don't think at our generation we've had that at all. Oh, it was absolutely silent. Nobody talked about it. Yeah. You know? When I think about, you know, my own family situation, it was never talked about. And I'm, you know, I still couldn't talk to my mother about it. That's for sure. So, <laughs> you know, what her experience was, and I sort of remember vaguely things happening, but also she wasn't at work. So that was a very different situation because yeah. I'm, I'm interested by this stat that you have on the site, on your site, which is 14 million workdays are lost to the UK economy due to women taking time off to manage menopausal systems. That's enormous, which also, yeah, which also speaks to how big the workforce is and women. So I'm interested, like your CEO that you spoke to this morning, he strikes me though as the exception, not the rule. Is that not the case? No, I think, like I said, it's really changed in the last few years. I mean, there's been a lot of media coverage, a lot of celebrities speaking out, and that's really changed the narrative. Sadly, it's changed the narrative to focus on the problems. And what I'm really passionate about is changing the narrative to A, the solutions, and B, to the reasons why becoming menopausal is a positive and an opportunity. Because, you know, you look around the world and you study menopause in different parts of the world, and you start to realise that where there's either no word or there's a positive word for menopause, the go-to matriarchs of society and that's magical because then people are not you know we think people become invisible or they are on the shelf we have this negative connotation whereas if you around parts of asia different parts you know in in south america it's actually a revered status to be menopausal so there i have are... no idea that's <laughs> i've no idea about me neither that. i'm packing my bags now <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, the <laughs> oh no, we have to change the narrative here. Remember, oh, Eve? right, right. Sorry, sorry. Yes. <laughs> Why now? Why do you think the tide has turned now? What is it about now? I can speak from my own experience and the, and the fact that you know when my doctor said to be sure, Lauren, you're 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 not got early onset dementia. You're just menopausal. I was literally the happiest menopausal woman in the UK. <laughs> And that, that was a trigger for me. And I, I'm very much kind of like, if I feel I need to go and do something, I just go and do it. I don't put a lot of thought into it. I just go and do. And the reality was, the more I started speaking to people, the more I realized that there were loads and loads of people going through this. We set up menopause socials where we just brought people together to talk about it. And back then, I was just talking to women about menopause. Not much, not much broader than that. I hadn't had the level of education, obviously, that I've picked up over the years. But it was really fascinating to hear how many people weren't taking promotions, were going part time, were moving sideways. It was actually Lloyd's Bank who I first partnered with, and we did a massive event in the city. It was oversubscribed, standing room only, and that was the moment where I was kind of like, ah, there's a few things at play here. The workplace has been designed for men by men. No hint of a criticism. That's who was out in the workplace going back 50, 60 years ago. And there were yeah, fewer that's women. That's absolutely true. Yeah. There weren't women of in the volumes that there are now using their voice to create the workplace that we've now got, that we're now trying to make that transition. And equally, back then, we didn't have the statistic now, which is women over 50 are the fastest growing economically active group in the UK. Wow. That sells women. so you know why now because things are changing and you go but you look at you look up the office of national statistics survey 100 years ago we were going through menopause in our late 40s and dying in our early 50s 
So we're still going through menopause at a similar time, slightly older, but we're living for another 30 or 40 years. I would say that women were working, but just in a different way. I think the difference is that women are in the workplace, which was traditionally a male domain. I think that women were working in different ways at home or probably in roles where they weren't sort of counted you know historically as be, as being out there weren't they I think that's that, that sort of very much is what I'm getting from this description of the workplace and where women are we've been kind of existing in two different spheres really whereas now there's that crossover we've gone mainstream <laughs> Women are mainstream. Practically <laughs> mainstream. Yeah, post yeah. forty mainstream. We're in that workplace. Yeah. But now I think I think you know some of those like you say those choices that people have made later on, and probably you know people have have had symptoms. They've gone part time because they felt they just couldn't handle it anymore. Many of those people wouldn't have even realised it was the menopause, and that's why they were feeling that, and that there was help available. But to your point, Lauren, like, you know, none of us have been through the menopause before. If we weren't educated, we wouldn't know what it was. That was definitely my experience. It was only by looking back, it was like, oh, that's Mm. what was going on. You know, and it took my business coach saying to me, I really think you need to be on HRT for me to go, really? And, you know, and, and connecting those dots where I just thought, you know, to Caroline's point, like rage, you know, joint pain, exhaustion, isn't that just (laughs) life? It's really curious, right, because we, you know, we've got nieces and nephews or children or we we know at least that we've had an experience as a child of getting to a point in life where we are a bit smelly, our body shape changes, we sprout hair, we get moody, we become forgetful and then we become young adults and we call that puberty and we don't question that mm-hmm. and yet when we get to the other end of our fertility we suddenly wonder why we go through this period in reverse and you know the reality is that when we just normalize conversation is obvious and actually if we can set ourselves up for success have the right support around us and create an environment for ourselves that is nurturing and we've got support that we need it can be an entirely different experience. I wonder if the difference is that puberty affects all genders and whereas menopause, of course, is, you know, just women. I normally like to sound a klaxon when I say the word patriarchy, but I suspect there's something going on here. I mean, we've been, we've grown up feeling that it's something to be embarrassed about. And therefore, there's been a conspiracy of silence around it. And I think also there's been a value put against women in being vibrant and young and fertile. And the feeling is that whether you agree with that or not, if you've grown up in that environment, that's very hard to shake off. It's very hard to stand up and go, I'm not fertile anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, actually, you know, or maybe that is something to celebrate. But you know what I mean? You know, it's it's like I'm at a different stage of my life. I want us to do that. But I think it, it has been hard. It's still hard. But I think a lot of that is where it's come from, really. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. 
Oh, I was just going to say to your point earlier, Lauren, about how the workplace was set up to be male. I think that also when you think about corporate workplaces where, you know, Caroline and I definitely spent most of our careers, there's also a behavioral expectation. You're solid, you're unflappable, you don't talk about vulnerability, um, especially if you're a decision maker, that's for sure, you know, in, in senior positions. And so the menopause really is not a topic of conversation or weakness of any kind is not a topic of conversation. And to your point earlier, like, you know, in my corporate career, I would never have gone to my boss to talk about a physical issue. Never. Just no. No. And it's interesting. I, I, you've just sparked a memory for me, actually, which was I was I was um, head of transformation partnering with the uh, director of finance for the FD at the time. We're doing a massive transformation piece of work. I'd just come through a relationship breakup and it was a really, really devastating relationship breakup. But like always, I knew that the minute I swiped my card and went through that turnstile, I had to switch it on and just put the personal behind me. And on this particular day, the memory that came into my mind just now was that she and I parked up at the same time, just after six in the morning, swiped into the building together. And she said, what's the matter with you? And she literally stopped. She goes, whatever it is with you, you've come into work now, so park it. Wow. Crikey. And I remember standing there. And I remember thinking, sadly, one of her team members, who was obviously a good colleague of mine, had lost a, a family member recently. And in my head, I went, someone else has got it a lot worse. I need to I need to put my A-game on here. And there was no question in my mind that I deserved to have a moment or to share a 30-second conversation with a fellow colleague about what was going on. It was immediately, right, she's right. I need to park my emotions and feelings. I need to put my corporate mask on and I need to put my best foot forward. And therefore my human Lauren outside of work person stays behind the turnstile and my work professional pacemaking, coaching leader needs to come forward and get on with the day job. And, and that that sums up, you know, I think what we're talking about, isn't it? It's kind of like mm. that was the that's the expectation that was brought of us. Yeah. And what I think is even worse is that that kind of brutality aff affects everyone. So the men also have to leave their personality at the door. It means that nobody has the ability to talk about real stuff. So what I think is really incredible is that you've seen the shift since you've been doing this coaching work where it sounds like we are talking about stuff that matters and we're talking about the whole person, which, you know, which helps everybody. Yeah, and we, you know, we didn't have senior leaders in DE&I roles going back 10 years ago. Diversity and inclusion just wasn't a senior role. We didn't have heads of well-being. We didn't have people looking at those critical pieces. And I think if we learned anything from the pandemic is that life is potentially very short and it's very valuable. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if we don't treat each other like human beings, we're in a hiding to nothing. And, and that mm -hmm. has been possibly a big win in some respects, because there's lots of drawbacks for women in terms of what happened as well from the pandemic studies are showing how it set us back. But in terms of looking at the whole being when it comes to the workplace, I think it definitely has opened people's minds to realising that they have to do things differently. Yeah. I think that's one thing I've really felt since turning 40 in the workplace and grows every year is the feeling that I am a whole person. I'm not just the role that I can do. And actually, it's the whole person that makes me good at the role that I can do. And I never felt that way before. And I think some of it is just being in the workplace for a long time. And you just, 
your tolerance starts to go. I think of, of that kind of mindset. We get to this point in our lives. We're more mature. We're more experienced. We've got so many people depending on us, whether it's children, whether it's parents, whether it's just colleagues or siblings. You can't keep it all in, can you? You know, you, you can't strip yourself down and strip out all the emotion. It's just not possible. So, you know, this embracing of everything about your life, the phases that you're going through, including the menopause, I think it can only be a good thing. And I think Eve's right. I think it's good for everybody because everybody benefits from this kind of development. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I was going to say, Lauren, what does a menopause-ready workplace look like? What is best practice? Best practice is really looking at the entire colleague journey. So everything from the job design all the way through the person spec and job description, you know, that very point, that's the point at which we say, are we creating something that is menopause savvy and menopause supportive? Is this going to be appealing to someone who's going through menopause? Is this going to be something that we're creating that someone can manage if someone is going through menopause while, while they're doing that role? And is it a good fit? So from that point of doing the whole design piece, the positioning when we recruit, when we're advertising and we're going through the recruitment process, the onboarding, and we're looking at all the metrics that we then gather. So have we got a tag on the HR system for women's health? Do we have a tag on there for menstrual health or, or menopause health or anything that is going to be pertinent and fits with your own DNI journey? Because that's continually evolving for every organisation. And are we asking the question at exit? what is the reason for you moving on you know what what could we have done differently to support you um what can we learn from the experience of working together and many companies i work with don't do that piece particularly very well and interestingly before the pandemic people oh we can't put a flag on the hr system for menopause oh no and then within two weeks of COVID happening guess what they had a flag on the system for COVID. really yes, i noticed that yeah. as well really we have really that. fast uh, really yeah. fast what so, does that mean a flag on the system is that so, like an identifier yeah so if someone has an absence ordinarily uh, larger ah. organizations will tend to identify what type of absence so they can start to see the metrics and the patterns of um, absences so if it's back problems if it's stress if it's if it, whatever it is and that enables them to then look at the colleague support the employee journey and see what they need to address and what they need to do differently so if they've got specific part of the organization going off with back problems perhaps there's something about that role or that physical setup that needs to be addressed that's causing people to go off so the same with you know if they started gathering metrics on menopause then they could go ah oh, that's really interesting you know so now we know we've got a lot of people who are struggling with this what do we need to do to enable people to flourish during this phase instead of having time off or if they need time off what can we do to support them better around that and coming back into the work so they don't need more time off going forward. So I think the metrics is really important because whether we like it or not, what well, gets measured, gets done. Mm. And so I think that that's the first thing is to look at that strategic piece. And then it's about doing general awareness sessions, making sure the whole organization has got access to accurate, up-to-date, honest information about menopause, that it's culturally sensitive and that people know where to go and get the right help and support. We also want to make sure our line managers are trained to spot the early signs and make early intervention before there's a performance issue, which is often easier said than done because even managers are stretched beyond belief at the moment. 
it's quite hard to ask that. And I think having spent many years with you expressing some emotion or perhaps anger at a situation at work, when you're a young woman and people suggesting perhaps you have PMT, I think it's equally irritating when you're in a situation at work where you're quite rightly pointing out something that's wrong or you're you're feeling tired because you're overworked. And then for somebody to say, is it because you're menopausal? I think that's quite hard. I mean, that's I think that's very hard for line managers to do is what I'm saying. And maybe not well received by women as well. If it's sometimes I feel like I'm always being judged by my hormones as a woman <laughs> at whatever st stage I'm at. I would like to feel that we this is all just part of us but sometimes I feel and perhaps that's like you're saying earlier about the, the workplace being set up for men I just sort of feel like we've always had to almost play down the hormonal side because because we've been judged badly for it that it affects our performance and our judgment and you know sort of sometimes we're not taken seriously from it I wonder whether women worry about that and, and also there's been so many tribunal cases, haven't there, about leaving yeah, the have, workforce? There have. The numbers are small, but they are increasing and they're only going to go in one direction. I think the points you're making are very indicative of the ages that we are and of the society we grew up in. And I do believe it's yeah. true. Equally, it's indicative of an employer who hasn't done the work in creating a culture where they are letting their people know that they are menstruation, menstrual health and menopause savvy. So where I work with organisations and the employer has made that move to become menstruation all the way through fertility and pregnancy um, to menopause and, and they've done the education and they've worked with the line managers and they've done the soft skills training for their managers, which has been lacking for the last few years, dreadfully lacking. When managers know their team and they understand that actually our hormones are a superpower. Oh, say I more like about that. that. What does that mean? <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to say is that I want it to be seen as a superpower and not a negative and that female hormones always seems to be judged as a negative. So please tell us more about this. So I think it comes down to us to make that decision and to model that. And it comes down to employers to do their bit to shift the dial on their awareness and their training that they give to their people. So it's, it's a dual role there. And we can go, actually, do you know, there are certain times of the month when I am more focused and I'm more engaged. And there are other times of the month where, frankly, I don't want to be around anybody, but I just want to have that thinking time. And I just want to be very calm and I get more creative. And there are other times where I'm more analytical. And when we get to know our own cycles better, and this is this is the problem because we haven't been brought up with this knowledge. We haven't understood yeah. it particularly well. And many, many people just mask their entire menstrual cycle with contraception. Mm -hmm. And that's not a that's not a judgmental comment at all. But actually, when you level all of that out, you lose touch with how you're fluctuating throughout the month. Um, mm. So when you start to understand what your monthly cycle is, we all become very naturally adept at withdrawing a little bit, engaging a little bit more, picking up certain tasks, managing around deadlines so that we can get through. But what if we actually could constructively sit down with our workload? and then juggle things around a little bit to suit a natural cycle. When we do this, and there's loads of studies out there, when we do this, our productivity levels go through the roof. So that's why I'm saying our hormones are a superpower. And that's one of my favorite talks to get as well. And that means that when we come into our, you know, through our different fertility um, cycles and challenges and pregnancies or miscarriages and all the other things that we go through, and then we hit perimenopause and menopause, 
when we're properly educated and we understand what that means and we know how to work with our own bodies and our own minds during those times and we've got managers who are trained to recognize that we do fluctuate and change throughout the month and that that's normal and actually that's a benefit to the team if they know us well enough then they will know how to use the right conversation the right outreach based on our and their personality connect with us in a way that's right for both of us it's not cookie cutter because we're human beings and none of us are, are born from the same pack so we need to we need to do that training for managers we need to enable them to have the right language and to give them that level of confidence and competence to be able to spot the signs potentially before you've even realized that you've become perimenopausal and to have that conversation in a way that is non-judgmental it's non-labeling so we're not they're not using the word menopause even but what they are going to do is help like a coach would do is help guide you to think about what's going on for you right now what help and support do you need what are the levers that you could maneuver in your life to help you feel better and how can i help as a manager to help you do that that sounds very nuanced and very complex i i think that's that i mean i love it but i also think that's really hard for a lot of people um, I mean, the feedback we get from training is really good and a lot of people feel really relieved. And I think that just an organisation saying that they want to support people going through menopause and providing a level of training is the first step in the right direction. Yeah. I think it sounds complex, but for me, it gives great hope for the future. I feel like a huge change is going on here. When you were talking, I was thinking, my God, you know, for my daughter you know for everybody's nieces and their friend their female friends who are not at that stage yet if this was going to become more of the norm in the workplace that really does give me great hope for the future i think this is i think that's fantastic i think that probably for us and many women our age it almost seems like we can't imagine what that's like or how that works and and that's why we're asking these questions because we know a lot of people will be thinking the same as us but I think it's to know just to know that these things are out there and possible and that we could ask for these things as well is it's just so positive I do want to ask though I think it starts with big corporations but how does this filter down to because I have worked for larger companies but I've also worked for lots of small agencies and you know I'm wondering how does it work for a person who is a, the lone employee or someone who's running a business and has a couple of employees. You mentioned before in the manufacturing industry, you mentioned about podcasts and online training materials that people can dip into. How would you you know, recommend people managing it in smaller organisations? So the, there's two employers that fall into the group that you're talking about. So there are larger employers who don't yet see the value in providing menopause awareness training and education and support. And then there's the smaller organizations who, if they had to cover every DNI topic, they'd go bust, frankly. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we offer a free three-day menopause the basics course every two months. And okay. we do that four times a year UK lunchtime, once a year in the morning to capture the Asian market, and once in the evening to capture the Americas. And that covers off on the first day, we cover ages, stages, definitions, facts and um, symptoms. On the second day, we cover what you can do to support yourself and others going through menopause. And on the third day, we do menopause and work. What are the considerations from an employee and employer point of view? And that's like a mini condensed version of the, the big training that we deliver. But we repeat it. It's on repeat. So we took 16,000 people through it last year. We're looking to double wow. 
double that this year and you know i'm looking you know i'm always looking to have that spread out to as many people as possible because that means a smaller employer or a sole trader or the the company that isn't yet at that place can dip into that training and their employees mm. can ask their partners or their children to dip into the training as well because it's not restricted just the employee and that way we can get the message out and normalize menopause as a topic and just make it something that people are happy to to talk about you know one of the things i say when i'm doing something live on stage is i'm always like okay and i find the right point during the talk i'm like can you help me out i'm like yeah okay okay after me just say the word menopause menopause say the word menopause menopause say the word and you know on the third one it's getting everyone to shout and you can just see that kind of like almost embarrassed giggle kind of like oh my gosh i did it you know, <laughs> expression on people's faces and it's like oh yeah i can say the word menopause and it's okay i didn't die you know <laughs> yeah right i mean dying of embarrassment is a real risk yeah yeah and we're very good at that british people we're very good that's one of our you know top 10 skills is dying of embarrassment all the exactly. time it's a core competency <laughs> yeah. yeah so that that sounds amazing so so as an employee say in a small company or in a big company what's really interesting is that there's two options right it either is top down someone at the top realizes this is really important or somehow it comes from the bottom up and asks for it so how does it work bottom up like how do i as an employee say hey I think we need this. How do you do that? Yeah, I think that's normally where it happens. I'll be honest with you. It's usually someone who has struggled, someone who's going through it, who's really passionate, who has um, just decided that it's time, <laughs> right? Yeah. And normally they will either reach out to me and we'll have a conversation. I'll find out about their demographics, about their culture. I'll find out about what their budget year looks like and if they've got any key stakeholders that might be able to support them on this journey. So then I will get them to come on the free three day course and have a chat with them and just say, you know, actually what resonated for you? What do you think would land well with your organization? Then I'll put together a pack for them so that they can then go to their colleagues and say, actually, do you know what? I've been thinking about this and these are the facts. These are the benefits of the organization to becoming menopause savvy. And these are the benefits to becoming menopause supportive. This is what it's costing us at the moment. This is what I estimate is costing us at the moment by not doing this. So they're setting the scene for the key stakeholders to really have a proper business conversation around it. And then we can start to talk about what's going to land. And again, depending on the type of organization, the type of industry, we'll then start to look at what sort of training, what sort of resources do we need to make available? And we'll create something that really fits with what they're doing. And often, I'm, especially with smaller organizations, I'm very keen that they can blend this into what they're already doing. So it's not something else they have to take their people away from the day job. So we want to look at what's in place, what are they already doing? How do we add menopause to that rather than asking them to do something additional um, and or they can just, you know, they can just tap into the resources that we've got as and when they need it. So is that the toolkit that you would describe on the website or is that something else? We've got a massive range depending on the organisation. So like I said, we, we have some fairly um, generic pieces that we've got, but we pretty much tailor everything to our to our companies. But for our smaller companies, the toolkit, the Menopause the Basics course, and then we, we run a series of webinars and also on the website where we're building up some really useful blogs as well. So, you know, I have a team of medics and nutritionists and personal trainers, pelvic health, sexual health. 
um, a, a whole bunch of experts who contribute towards the Become a Menopause Coach Diploma and they're starting to contribute blogs towards the, the website as well. So we're just building up that knowledge bank so that people can dip in and out at their leisure. So what do the menopause coaches do? Do they work inside their own organization? What's their job? Um, so we have people who come from three main categories, either working in corporate and they have a day job and then they are supporting colleagues. So they might be running menopause social events. They might be raising awareness. They might be supporting colleagues one to one or in groups or they might be running a series of webinars. They can do all of that on the back of the menopause coach program. It might be someone who's already running their own small business as an HR consultant, DEI consultant, a well-being specialist, and they want to add menopause into the mix as well so that they can support their colleagues. And then finally, the growing group, which is quite interesting, and um, I have a little curiosity behind this, um, are people who are exiting corporate um, because they haven't been supported. And actually, okay. they've decided they want to go and support other people, but they don't want to go through the 10 years I've been through to create all of this. They just want to come, learn, be up to date and be supported. And they want a framework that they've got ready off the shelf to deliver to their clients going forward. And I also have people. So I've got accountants and lawyers and business builders who are part of the program that they can then engage with to go and help build their business as well. So it's not like we're just going, you've got your diploma and away you go. We're actually going and this is what you can do. So we always set people up with 90 days of planning so that once they've got the diploma and they've graduated, they've taken their practice clients through, they're feeling confident and competent about the program. We then go, right, your next 90 days, you know, and then we come up with their daily actions and how they want to reach their market, what their messaging is, their pricing and, and so on, so that they don't feel, you know, adrift, mm. um, having never yeah. worked themselves before, because that, that's a tricky, tricky It's one. like you're training a menopause army and sending <laughs> it out into the world, aren't you? <laughs> Just your little, your little soldiers ready. I love it. <laughs> It's just Gentle soldiers, their weapons are well-being and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's going to be, by 2030, it's estimated to be 1.2 billion women globally going through menopause. Not going through menopause, who are menopausal. 1.2 right. billion people in menopause come mm. 2030. That's a lot of women. We kind of need, or people, kind of need to hold hands a bit, don't we? You know, rather than feeling alone, which is what these conversations are all about. Yeah. One thing I wanted to ask is in terms of, you know, the diverse communities that you get within a workplace, are there differences in approaches? Yeah, 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 very much. And I think we have to be very mindful. One of the reasons why I'm not cookie cutter with the work we deliver is because you need to be culturally sensitive. You need to meet a company where they are on their DNI journey. And you need to be mindful of what gender language they use. You need to be aware of what other training they've got going on so that you can cross-reference. You want to be tapping into, if they're doing other um, diversity and inclusion training or wellbeing training, you want to make sure you're not reinventing the wheel and that yeah. you're making sure you're, you're signposting to things they've already got in place. So I think that it's really important that we recognise the culture of differences of experience of going through menopause, the different ages that it can happen. And also, we haven't even really touched on the fact that you might become menopausal in your teens or 20s or 30s for medical or surgical reasons. So there's a whole raft of people going through menopause. I became menopausal at 37. And that's yeah. why it's called women of certain stage, because I don't want people to think that we're a certain age when we go to menopause. And I want people to know that we need to be menopause savvy by the time we're in our you know, early, early teens. Um, so we partner with organizations and train people. So you know how companies have like volunteer days? 
So one of the things that we've started doing is partnering with large organisations and training people in their business to go out to schools and to train and work with their 14 year old girls to help them understand what a normal period is and when to ask for help and support and how to ask for help and support. Because we know that girls mm -hmm. are being disadvantaged during their exams at university, yeah. their first job, because they have had to mask and manage things like fibroids, endometriosis and cysts and all sorts of things because no one's mm -hmm. told them what's a normal period. And so that's, that's you know, the stages of a woman's life um, are really important to me so that people are growing up with that awareness and, and knowledge. Have you found that there's other cultures that do this really well, that are much more transparent and and emphasize that kind of education and awareness? Of menstruation? Yeah, that whole sort of, like you said, the superpower journey from, you know, your first period all the way through to, you know, your postmenopausal life. Are there countries that actually are, are sort of on the right path for, that you've come across? So the UK is leading the way on menopause. Um, wow. Big, big style. And lots of countries are watching what we're doing at the moment, especially from a parliamentary point of view. When it comes to menstruation, interestingly, Japan and Korea and Spain have got menstrual leave. And um, there's a lovely study in Australia where there was a two year study in their healthcare in Victoria. And they said that they were going to put in sanitary wear into all their ladies' toilets. And they were going to give women as much time off as they needed for anything menstruation to menopause. There was huge backlash. It took ages to push the study through, but eventually they did. And the upshot was that women only used the, the products when they needed them and they took less time off. Stalker. And when they, <laughs> and when they um, asked why this was, it was because for the first time they felt seen and they felt heard yeah. and supported and they felt like they belonged. Mm. Isn't that amazing how powerful that is? It's so simple, but at the same time, we find it so hard to do because we've been brought up where that would sound counterintuitive right because we've got this patriarchal yes. environment and that's why you know I said earlier Caroline about you know we we actually have to be part of that change as well and yeah we, you know we need to we need to step out of the the beliefs that we've been brought up with which is super hard to do because it's ingrained in us mm. I mean it's I've hard. really tried to do that when being a lot more open with my daughter than my mother was with me I absolutely won't have got everything right because that's what mothers do. We don't always get it right. But I feel like I'm trying to take a step forward for the next generation. Definitely. So I think, I think, yeah, if we're all doing that, um, yeah, we will get there. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was what sort of responses do you get from, you know, from men in the training? Like, oh, I mean, it's it. too general a question, but no, do you... Oh, no. great. So how do men respond? Because oh, it's really awkward and difficult. No, no, the exact opposite. The exact opposite. I live in Filton in Bristol and I live in the massive engineering space. So we've got Airbus and GKN and Rolls Royce and companies like that all around us. I remember the very first session that I did, I did a day of sessions for one of the local companies and it was all men all day long. And I literally, I was in a little room um, with a table that sat about 20 people. And as different shifts came in throughout the day, I got 20 men in, we sat and talked about menopause. And I probably can't repeat an awful lot of what some of them said, but the <laughs> general consensus was, oh, I think you've just saved my marriage. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. And oh. it was so fascinating because there were, there were guys that I've all over the last few years 
men that are on the verge of divorce that suddenly realize why things have gone the way they are and that they can do something about it. I've had men who haven't had been intimate with their partner for three or four years and you know, were, were separated, who went back to the partner. I've had one man who was divorced, who was just about to start thinking about moving in with a new partner. And when the penny dropped after the session, he started dating his ex-wife and they've since got married oh, again. Oh, wow. Um, this stuff is powerful. This is stuff is powerful. Wow. Men are desperate for the information and they want to know what to do. They, because don't forget, the majority of men, I'm not saying all men, I'm, I'm not, but there is a stereotype which is fairly true that typically they want to fix. And actually menopausal women don't want to be fixed. So it's the perfect storm, right? So when they have a toolkit to be able to listen and support rather than just going in and trying to fix, and they can see it from a different angle, they feel relieved. And their stress levels go down. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that doing that. so reassuring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. It I shows how doing. it works for everybody. Yeah. It's, and it's not just about women. No, I mean, I can tell you another really quick story, which is I was doing a talk for one of the banks. This was an in-person talk a few years ago. And halfway through the talk, this young couple walked out, burst into tears and walked out of my talk. And I was like, oh, OK, just carry on, carry on. I didn't know what I'd said or done. And I was like, nope, probably not me. Just carry on. So I carried on my talk. And at the end, they came back to speak to me. And they weren't a young couple. They were 22-year-old twins who'd left home at 15 thinking their mother hated them. And they walked out of the talk realizing that she'd probably just gone through menopause and they phoned her for the first time in seven years okay that Ooh, i feel a bit tearful incredible oh well i mean this is my third time welling up in this conversation i mean it's oh my god that's yeah. amazing how misunderstood this phase of life is yeah. how it affects everybody how it's been made to be a woman of a certain stage and age is problem and yet it's just so far reaching isn't it yeah yeah crikey this yes. is good work lauren this is your <laughs> i mean when did you start doing this let's talk about your post 40 journey journey. well um by the time i started doing this i was in my mid 40s and i uh, probably started about 2014 it's all a bit hazy about when i left work <laughs> yeah that was not um, my finest hour and it's interesting isn't it because in my head i was a complete disaster and yet my team were outperforming anything we'd ever done before go figure so did you think about going back no. after you ah why why was that why why not Going back yeah. to your job after you realised what it was. I'd left. I'd left. But I'd not left. even to go back to the industry. You just weren't moved to. No, to... definitely not. There was, you know, I, I grew up and we had careers, people, careers talks when we were at school. And it was always like, what are you going to be? And they would tell you what you could and couldn't be and what you should and shouldn't be. And I was told, if you ever amount to anything, you might be a teacher in a really derogatory way. And Charming. I was like, oh, okay, I have to be a teacher. Mm, right. No, it doesn't really resonate. Okay. And never gave it another thought, to be honest. And I've had multiple careers since then. But I've never, ever known what I wanted to do. I've never known. I've been really lucky that, you know, I've worked in service industries and operations. I've worked as a personal trainer, sports therapist, nutrition advisor with some of the biggest names in, in sport and in entertainment. I've worked in financial services. I've done project and program management. I've done lots of different things and I've always loved what I did, but I had no clue what I wanted to do. Mm. And it was in that moment when my doctor told me that I was just menopausal that I kind of went, I don't want anyone else to go through this. And I have never had a second of doubt. 
that this is what I was meant to do. And all these ran seemingly random things about psychology and personal training and corporate and senior corporate and lower level corporate and different industries all suddenly made sense. And it's yeah. like, that's why I've been on this journey. This is what I'm meant to do. And it sounds ridiculous. I can't believe I've just no. said but oh that, no it resonates no and we've had other people on the podcast say exactly the same thing really? that they ended up yeah they ended up post 40 doing the thing that yeah. they wanted to do and that they'd looked back on their lives and seen all of the skills that they'd gathered on the way and it was all adding up to this moment and so we've had several people say that yeah. Which we think gives people hope because I do know people, you know, in their early thoughts think, oh, well, you know, what have I been doing my whole career? And I always think you've been training for what you yeah. what you're going to do because 40 is not the end. It's just another beginning. And yeah. interestingly, you often can only see the pattern when you look back. You know, it's only through, you know, that sort of retrospective that you can see. And interestingly, looking at, you know, your background, you are a teacher. You have been a teacher all along. You know, mentoring is clearly important to you, helping people, showing them the way. You know, the, that's an amazing thing that you've been doing. The thread is there. You just have to look back and see it, I think. And the irony is that I've now landed by running an academy to train people to be champions and coaches. And, and that's where my, <laughs> my heart is. How, how <laughs> random and ironic is that? Fighting against that thing so I didn't like told what to do. And here I am doing that very thing now. No, that's and funny. we are going to put links to all, all everything that you've talked about oh. is going to be in our resources section on the on the right side of 40 website so people can go and have a look at all these resources and ideas and how they can bring this into their workplaces or it's about their family or themselves that seems like probably a good place to sort of wrap up i've just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and it's just such a pleasure Us to see the time with you so thank you so much for bringing this topic to the fore no definitely oh, i have so enjoyed this i feel like i've learned so much other people will as well i feel like i could talk about this a lot more i'm feeling change and i don't often feel things are moving on things are changing for the better it's a really good feeling so thank you very much for joining us yes and for freeing us we can say those words yeah. out loud <laughs> menopause say it. awesome Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, let us know about it. We also want to hear what you've been up to since turning 40. Get in touch on our website, rightsideof40pod.com. Follow us on Twitter at rightside40, Instagram at rightsideof40pod, and Facebook at the Right Side of 40 Podcast. All content is arranged by Eve and Caroline. And a big thank you to Terry and V. Neal for writing, performing, and mixing the original music.